0: So, the title of uh, today's sermon is Surprise. And I thought I would share with you uh, the largest, the biggest Christmas surprise I've ever had. This comes when, uh, I believe, it was the, my fifth grade year. Uh, I, and, and just to give you a little context, a little background, when I was in fourth grade, that was the, that was the year of the. Uh, uh, it, was, it was a tragic year. Um, I found my presents before Christmas. Uh, my parents, um, I don't know what they were thinking, but they, they put all the presents in their closet. I mean, the most, the most obvious place. And I, I, I'm supposed to go look, right? I mean, isn't that the point? I'm supposed to, to, and, and I'm supposed to not find them, but this time I did. And if you, if you go into um, the, the, shrine, the shrine to Tom, that is uh, my old room in my parents' house, you will still see on a shelf the, the giant pirate ship the Lego pirate ship that I received that year, fourth grade year, I found the presents, I tearfully confessed, I was, I was devastated. Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry, I found the presents, I've ruined Christmas. And uh, they, they instructed me to pretend to be surprised on Christmas morning. Um, and, if, and if I didn't, then maybe I wouldn't get them. Uh, it turns out that I did, uh, thank goodness, so that's in the background, and I'd like to think of myself as not the sort of person who's easily surprised. I'd like to think of myself as the sort of person who uh, reads people well, right? I know what you're thinking, you know. You can't get anything by this guy. And perhaps that's uh, not true, but it's, it's what I'd like to think. And so the whole next year, in light of, what had, uh, of this tragic, terrible Christmas that had taken place, I'm thinking the parents are really going to take it up to the next level. Right The parents are really going to pull one over my eyes, and so i 'm all year I'm, I'm really trying to detect what they 're up to now, of course, you have to remember that i 'm an only child, and so I have a, you know a certain level of expectation for what uh, what Christmas looks like um, and, and you understand as the, as the center of the universe it's very. there's a certain level of, well, I know what's going to happen. So it's very difficult for them to really fool me, right? But this year, my fifth grade year, they really turned it on. My parents, uh, God bless them, really, really pulled the wool over my eyes. It began around October, November, um, maybe right after Thanksgiving, when my father begins dropping these, you know, kind of hints like, gosh, we're, you know, we're really not doing well this year. You know, there's just... You know, I, I've changed jobs, took a pay cut. Uh, your mom's trying to build back her business. Um, you know, just, it, oof, gosh, it's really been tough. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll play your game, you rogue. <laughs> All right. Yes, it sure is tough. And uh, and this sort, of, this sort of continued, and it even got to the point where, I mean, I, maybe I wasn't taking the hint, so he really lays it on thick. He's like, Tom, I just want you to be prepared. You know, maybe this year, maybe just... Not you know everything on your list oh you okay, okay, I get you, I 'm with you, all right, that's fine, so on christmas morning i uh, I charged down the stairs, um, and I you know, it was he was really going all out, like there weren't really that many presents under the tree. I'm thinking, oh Whew. all right you, okay all right I'll, I'll roll with it, fine, you win, so I uh, you know. I... Get you know one or two things, awesome. Um, upend the stocking. At the bottom of the stocking is you know usually my my mom. She she's sly too. She makes sure that I don't unwrap my best present until the end, right? And and it turns out that that she she upends the stocking and she kind of holds one little box off to the side. I'm thinking, all right, what can that be? You know, because I mean it's got to be good. It's me, center of the universe. You know, little Tom, little Tommy, <laughs> right? So I get, I get to the bottom, I unwrap it. It's a, you know, it's a, not even the best Game Boy game that, that I wanted at the time. It was, um, it, for those, for <laughs> let's really get nerdy. It was, uh, it was Mega Man for Game Boy, um, which was maybe like second or third on my list. Yeah. but so I, But the thing is, I've seen A Christmas Story, right? You guys, you've seen this movie, right? And at the end of A Christmas Story, you know, Little kid, he's, he's got all the toys, but he didn't really get what he wanted. He really wanted that Red rider BB gun. And then his dad's like, hey, son, what's that behind the tree? You know, so I'm, I'm waiting, right? I'm like, okay, all right. You guys, but I'm starting to get worried now. I'm really worried. Oh, Tom, Christmas is over. Great, let's, uh, let's, go, get, let's go get lunch. And then... I look at my dad, and I can tell, the only thing on his mind is a desire for me not to be disappointed, because it's really true. They really weren't doing that well that year, there really weren't many gifts under the tree, and he was hoping, desperately, desperately hoping, that my heart wouldn't be broken, that I wouldn't be disappointed. So I see him looking at me like this, and it all comes crashing in. I realize what's going on. Biggest smile. What a great Christmas, Dad. Thank you so much. I love you so much. Ah, oh, guys, I can't wait. This game is my favorite game. Ah, Mega Man, what an amazing game. I'm really laying it on thick, because what I've just realized is that all my expectations have been dashed. But I've also realized something deep down that I wasn't really sure was there. I didn't know it was there. And that was this is a surprise to me in the fifth grade. It mattered more to me that my parents were happy than I got what I wanted for Christmas. And you know, for a fifth grader, I, you know I, I go to bed that night, I play this game. It's not that great. I'm laying there in bed. Actually, I don't think my parents even know this. I think this is the first time they've heard this. I I never told them. Um, I'm laying there in bed, and it occurs to me that the world is not what I thought. The world is not what I thought. The world is not a place where what matters most is me getting Castlevania for the Game Boy on Christmas morning. That's not what the world is like. It occurs to me for the first time in a very real way that matters more to me that the people I love or happy, or joyful, than that I get what I want. Surprise! Right? That's what a surprise is. A surprise is when our expectations, what we think the world is like, turns out not to be the case. And a good surprise is when our expectations have been dashed, changed, switched, and we find out that the way the world is, is better than we thought. A simple surprise, you open the door and normally there's not a masked man uh, kidnapping you and taking you off college campus, throwing you in the trunk of your car, of his car, and driving you to the lake campus where there's a, a picnic and all your friends are gathered and says, happy birthday! That's a simple surprise. Because not normally that's not what happens when I exit the door of my, of my dorm room. And so my expectations have been shattered the world's not what I thought, and it's very nice, it's, it's pleasant. But that's a simple surprise. A real big surprise, a big, big, big surprise, is when you find out that the structure of the world is not what you thought, and it's good, it's better, it's more beautiful than what you originally believed it to be. It's actually better to have your parents, the ones you love, your friends, in a place of happiness and joy than it is for you to get what you want. Now, of course, we all know that, but that's something you learn, or at least it's something I had to learn. Take out your pew Bibles. It's very traditional this Sunday. Take out your pew Bibles. Uh, we're going to read from Luke 1, um, the Christmas story. Uh, for those, uh, it's on page 540 in your, in your pew Bibles. Scott Kim, I stole your pew Bible earlier. The, the one that was right there, I, I, I yanked it, so I'm, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to pretend like you know it. Oh, you brought one. Good. Very good. Uh, yeah, your pew Bibles, it's uh, page 540. What I'm going to do today is it, where there's a pretty significant chunk of text. And we're going to be focusing... Uh, the, the, the theme of the sermon is really drawn from uh, the song that Mary, that Mary sings or, or her exclamation near the end of our text. But I'm going to begin in verse uh, 26, I believe. And we're going to walk through, and I'm just going to just point out a few things about the text that, that, that can be helpful. Um, and I'm going to assume that you're reading the New King James. If you're not, then some of the things I'm going to mention you may just see in your text. Um, but let's begin. Uh, be, normally we, we stand uh, to read the scriptures, but today I'm just going to—it's so long. And I'm going to be talking a little bit, uh, so don't stand. Stand in your hearts. All right. Now, in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's pre- Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We see these words. What those words really mean, if you're reading in the first century, is that it, in, in Nowersville, in the middle of Hicktown, uh, where nothing important ever happens and nobody good comes from. That's true. That's, that's what it means. That's, the translation just gets garbled. Galilee, Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. You'll notice what's missing. It doesn't say Mary of house so-and-so. It doesn't say Mary's daughter of this person. It's just Mary. She's no one. She's a peasant, a little peasant girl. She's probably 14 years old, 15 years old. She's engaged to be married. In this culture, in this time, she has nothing to her name. There's nothing of worth about her because a woman's worth and her, what, what, what makes her valuable in ISIS society is her man at this time. Um, of course, that's no longer the case. My value is attached to the fact that my wife has a good job, um, whereas I languish in failure and sadness. Uh, but at this time, at this time uh, you're, a woman's worth was attached to her man. And Mary has no worth because she's not married yet. She's just Mary, just Mary, the 14-year-old betrothed virgin girl. She's nobody from Backwardsville, Nowheresville, in the middle of nowhere in Hicktown, USA. She is nothing. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one! The Lord is with you! Blessed are you among women! Yes, highly favored one. Uh, the, the root there is it's one who has, has received much grace. You've got so much grace, you so much favor, so much blessing. And Mary looks at the angel and says, mm, Do you know who you're talking to? The New King James says, But when she saw him, she was troubled at, the, at the, his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Troubled, really, it's a, it, Josephus uses this word to, to mean something like uh, disordered or chaotic. It might mean her mind scrambled. An angel of the Lord appears to her, and she, she's not afraid. She's confused. Gabriel, you, you stopped at the wrong house, in the wrong village, in the wrong country. I'm just Mary." I'm nobody from Nowheresville in Hicktown, USA. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary, very practical, said, How can this be? I'm still a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, "Behold, the maid servant of the Lord." Really, this is more an idiom. It, it, it maybe it better to be something like, "Like, okay, I'm God's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Make it so. I'm God's servant. If this is what you're going to do, amazing." And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. She went from the hills to the hills. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Maybe Mary's a little bit. Maybe she really? Elizabeth? She's 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 so old, there's no way. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. I'm sorry, Roman Catholic High School. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Insight from Elizabeth. There's Mary, her cousin. Bam! She knows immediately that Mary's pregnant. She knows not only that, but that, that the baby Mary carries will be her Lord. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, this is our text, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoiced in in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. That lowly state, it's it's humiliation, abasement. Uh, This is a word that... that, uh, is usually used of people who are in the dirt, the mud. He's looked down on on the, the, the humiliation, the abasement of his maidservant. And behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's put down the mighty from their thrones, exalted the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich He sent away empty. He's helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, just as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His seed forever. This is a crescendo. This is Mary realizing what's going on in the world. This is the surprise of all surprises. And she starts looking at her situation. Now she's certain what the angel said is going to come to pass. That Mary, nobody from Nowheresville, Hicktown, USA, is going to be the mother of the king to end all kings. The Lord of lords. She who is in the dirt is going to be raised to the highest place. And so as she considers that, as she thinks about that, she, she starts to think about who she is and, and, and what's gone on for her. The Mighty One has done great things for me. And then, and then suddenly she starts talking about other things. Beauty and the Beast, all time best Disney cartoon ever. You're with me, right? You, uh, everyone, please raise your hand if you've seen Beauty and the Beast, the, the Disney cartoon. Oh, Pat. I'm sorry. I'm going to fill you in, Pat. Okay, John. I got you guys. Um, beauty and the Beast, uh, French provincial town, right? Belle, um, Belle, French for beauty. Belle is a is a prim girl. She's she's beautiful. Um, she she's a bit odd. She has an odd father. Uh, she's but but the, the first time we see her on screen, there's this wonderful song that I hear over and over on toddler radio. Um, that the Aaron. Put, Plays for the baby. Bonjour, 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 bonjour. Right, you, got, you guys know that song. It's a great song. It's awful. Um, first time you see her, you know this girl is destined for great things. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. She's, she's gorgeous. I mean, all the other girls in town are jealous. Like, it, she has the eye of, of the, the town hunter guy, the best hunter in the town, uh, Gaston. Right? She, is that his name? Okay, great. I probably should have watched the movie first. Yes. She's got it all. Sure, she's a little bit weird. Sure, her dad's a little crazy. But as soon as you see her, you know this girl is destined for great things. And if you, if you just tear out all of, the, all of the things that happen in the story, she falls in love with a, a monster. Uh, she true loves Kiss. Monster becomes Handsome Prince. <laughs> Very fortunate. Excellent. So she starts out provincial peasant town girl, ends up, what, uh, princess, baroness, countess, something, something like that, noble, right? And, and when we're watching this movie, we can tell exactly what's going to happen from the very first scene because we're Americans. <laughs> and that's true. As Americans, we know how the story goes. It doesn't matter who your dad is. It doesn't matter who your mom is. It matters that you've got that spark. It helps if you're good looking. Which makes my lack of success totally inexplicable. (laughs) It helps if you're good looking. But really what's going on is there's something inside you. You're virtuous or you you have that, that innovative spirit, that imagination, that genius, that drive. Right? And, and if you just go with that, and if you just hammer hard, it doesn't matter, you could have come from the slums of wherever, you could have maybe even come from nowheres, be a nobody from Nowheresville, Hicktown, USA, and you can get to the top. right? And we see this all throughout our culture, and it's nowhere to me more amusing than in our presidential uh, uh, races. How funny is it that uh, these guys who are trying to be president go out of their way to let, let us know how like us they are? right? Uh, this, I, this may be an apocryphal story, but uh, I think it's true, and if it's not, my father can correct me. But George Washington, when he gets his first letter, at, and he's now president of the United States, they've won the war, they've signed a constitution, something. And the French president, or the French king, sends him a, a letter, and it's, and it's titled something like this, To His Illustrious Majesty, the Lord and President of the United States of America, such and such and such. And such. So George reads this, he's nonplussed. He sends a letter back and he's like, you know, dear king, signed you know, George Washington, comma president. And the reason he does this is to point out that nobody's really better than anyone else. This is America. All men are created equal, all men and women are created equal, right? We've been endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. We're we're just folks. And what it's really about is it's really about whether or not, if you're, you know, decent looking, not horrible, uh, and you've got that spark, that innovative spirit, and you work hard, you can make something of yourself. You can go from the lowest state to the highest state. You can become president of the United States. And we believe this so deeply as Americans that when the former owner of the Texas Rangers, who went to Yale, uh... We want to make sure that he comes across as like one of us. He's just one of the guys on the ranch. Or the constitutional law professor from, what, Columbia who went to Harvard. I mean, he's just a guy, you know, that we hang out with. That's America. That's who we are. We, this is, this is, this is not America. Mary is not Belle. Mary knows what her life is going to look like. And it does not involve true love and ending up a countess. She's never going to be president. Mary is the dirt. She is a nobody from nowheresville, Hicktown, USA. And that is never going to change. The best that she can hope for is a step up by marrying a carpenter. And so when she hears this, this message, she's confused, mind-scrambled, boggle. How can this be? You've knocked on the wrong door, Gabriel. There are plenty of king's daughters out there who are up to the task. And her song is not so much praise, although it is that, as it is an epiphany. Surprise! You thought you knew God, you thought you knew me, but you were wrong. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the abasement of his maidservant. Behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. And that right there, generation to generation, is when she gets it. She's reflecting on her situation, and she says, God, I'm a nobody. And you're going to save the world through my womb. And that's who you've always been. It dawns on her. God, you're not the God who needs the kings and the people with the status and the people with the power and the people with the... That's not who you use. That's not what you do. You're the god of people like me. And you've always been this way. And notice that she uses she, everything's in the past tense. From here on out, she says, "God, you've shown strength. You've scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. You've put down the mighty from their thrones. You've exalted the lowly. You've filled the hungry with good things. The rich you've sent away empty. You've helped your servant Israel in remembrance of your mercy." She says, mercy, we we talked a few months ago about chesed, faithfulness, covenantal love, never give up, stick to it, this kind of commitment. You remembered that about yourself, and you've always done this. Just as you spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. I came today a bit mind-scrambled myself. And I spoke to Neil this morning uh, in his office, trying to calm down. And here's a strange thing happened to me. Normally, when I'm preparing um, either a lecture or a sermon, I keep, well, in the, in the academy, Among scholars, we call critical distance to a text. The text is something that we study. It's something that we look at, we analyze it, we use tools, we read commentaries. We investigate the original languages. But but 'er, ne'er shall the text ever get in here. Because then it gets dangerous, of course. Then it demands things of you. You suddenly have to obey it, which is awful. But critical distance. At some point during this week, this text stopped having critical distance for me. At some point during this week, I found myself magnifying the Lord. Because as I was reading Mary's story... I started to read my own story. I started to think about how this past year we were on the edge. That we were really, really close to not making it. And God showed up. When we were on the outskirts, when we were the nobodies from Nowheresville and Hicktown, USA, when we didn't have a penny to our names, God showed up and bailed us out. And as I was reading Mary's song, I started to think, God, you showed me, you surprised me. You showed me who you are. You're the one who takes slaves out of Egypt, the lowest of the low. You're the one who brings exiles who have no home, home from Babylon. You're the one who takes the most shameful of executions, the cross, and you make it a sign of freedom and liberty to all who see it. God, this is who you are. God, you delight at finding people who are at the lowest place and then pulling them up. That is at the core of your character. That is what your covenant is. Find the the, the person who's farthest away and search them out. The lost sheep, as Jesus will say later. Go out and find them and bring them home. I couldn't write this sermon because it mattered too much because I started to really believe it. Because I started to see the text and realize this is my story. This is what I have known throughout my life. And this is what this group of people, we come confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen the third day, And we know in a deep part of ourselves that we were far off, that we were the dirt, we were abased, humiliated, we were the ones passed over, and we have been lifted up. We have been taken from a far country and brought near to the King of Kings. We know in a deep part of our soul. That God has been faithful to his covenant from generation to generation. And our lives are lived in light of that truth. I didn't know how to write this sermon because what I really want to say is the word of the Lord to you today is expect the unexpected. Oscar Wilde said that and it's, it's an oxymoron. You, you can't expect the unexpected that wouldn't be unexpected if you did. But what Oscar Wilde was trying to get at, I think, prepare for surprise. You can't prepare for a surprise because if you're prepared, it's not a surprise. What am I saying here? Um, What was Oscar Wilde saying? Maybe there is no way to express this in terms that make any sense. How about this? Look back at the history of God. Look back at the history of your life. And look at the places where he's bailed you out. Look at the places where you started out a nobody, and you ended up a somebody. Look at how he has delighted in taking you who are of no worth, of no status, of nothing, and making you something. And notice how every single time, at least this is my experience, you weren't ready for it. You didn't know it was coming, you didn't know how it was coming, And then suddenly, bam, it did. For us, it was uh, an email out of the blue. Aaron, please apply for this job. Who sent that email? What? Oh, okay. Surprise! And know that the word of the Lord to you is this expect the unexpected. Mary's like, it's me, it's nobody. I'm a peasant girl, King of kings, Lord of lords from you. Unexpected. And then she looks back and she says, that's the way it's always been. That's the way God always, which makes God a very interesting God. Because if that's what God is like, then it means that God takes delight, or something like delight, in coming up with ever more maddening ways to show up when we least expect it in a way that we can't possibly imagine, and then after he's done so, we look back and realize, oh, that's what you were always like. That's what it means to expect the unexpected. It means you're never going to see it coming, but once it's happened, you look back and say, that's what you've always been like. You showed up in a way that's totally insane. And that's the way you've always been. You don't save the world by being tortured to death until you do. That's how God has always been. For every person here who is in a place... In some part of your life, that's the lowest of the lows, you're abased, humiliated, and you don't know the way out. The word of the Lord is this. Surprise! In the coming year, in the coming years, you will be surprised. And when it happens, you will say, I couldn't have predicted that. But now that I look back, God, that's how you've always been from generation to generation since you first found Abraham and swore to him that you would never give up. You've always been like this. Surprise! Surprise! I don't know what else to say. This is what I'll say. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the abased state of his servant. And behold, from now on every generation will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He put the mighty down from their thrones. And he exalted the lowly people like me. He filled hungry people like me with good things. And the rich he sent away empty. He helped his servant Israel and the church that's become a part of it. In remembrance of his everlasting, covenantal, never give up, never quit kind of love. Just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Merry Christmas. Be surprised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the surprises. I thank you that your ways are not our ways. They're too high and too mighty and too wise to seem anything but foolish to us. I thank you that you've never given up on me, on my family, and on everyone here. I thank you that you've taken us from places where we saw no way out and lifted us up. That you've shamed the proud in the way that you've taken us To wonderful places. Lord, I thank you that you saved the world by coming to a nobody from Nowheresville. That you saved the world through a cross and not through a sword. That you've taken sin and wiped it away in the most unimaginable way possible. And that you're the same now as you were then that you are still full of surprises, and yet you are the same God from generation to generation. Father, send your Spirit, send your Spirit to us expecting the arrival of your Son in new and incredible ways. Send your mercy, your love, your deliverance, send your holiness in ways we've never thought possible. And turn our eyes back to you, Lord, so that we can say with Mary, our soul rejoices. We magnify you. You who are the same and yet ever surprising. We thank you that the world is not what we thought it was. Now and forever. Amen.